0: Let's look in the book of Hebrews. Thank God. There is such truth in the Word of God that's able to raise you up and save you. It's able to, to transform you, it's able to deliver you, it's able to heal you. You know, it says, Your Word is healing to my body, life to my bones. I mean, it's life. He said, "The Bible says He sent His Word, and He healed them." You may not think it, but boy, the more you meditate and feed on the Word of God, the better life gets. Very simply, this is what ne- is needed for every every believer's every believer's spiritual life. Not just so you're preaching, not just so you can you know. Well, someday they may ask me to say something. I better have a scripture. No, it's for life. In fact, for preachers, if preachers just just um, the only thing they study is what they're going to preach. They will eventually burn out. You have to feed yourself. You have to be a believer and say, the Word of God is life to me. It's energy to me. It's hope to me. It's, it's the answers I need. And we seek that. And in Hebrews chapter, uh, we'll start in chapter 8, there's a lot we need to say. Um, we're going to try to get it all in. Thank God. Thank God. So in chapter 8, uh, I'm just trying to see how much we can fit into one. We know in chapter 4, there's this great uh, section of Scripture where he says that since we have this high priest who sympathizes with our weaknesses, knows what we've been going through, he says, when you have weakness, when you have a problem, when you need help, what do you do? You boldly go into the throne room of grace. Find mercy and help in the time of need. So we know that the place where you need to go when you need help, when, you, when you're struggling, when you're hurting, when, when things are good, you go into the throne room. This is where it says that he, since He's our high priest, He's made a way that we could go boldly and confidently. What does the word confident mean? It means with faith. It means without doubt, right? I mean, think about our English word confident comes from a Latin word. It's got two Latin words in it. Now, we don't all have to speak Latin, and the Bible was, never, was, was not originally li- written in Latin, so don't think you're less holy if you don't understand. But when we, hear, when we say confident, what does that mean? Con means with, fident, what, I mean, comes from the word fidelis, which means, or, or fide, which means faith. So confident means with faith. And this is what we need to be. We need to come confidently with boldness, with faith, without doubt, knowing that we have been made able to go into the throne of God, that we're not uh, burdened with with sin, that we're not burdened with dirt, that Jesus Christ has cleansed us and is continually cleansing us so that we can go in and worship Him freely, that we can go in and get help, that we can go in and and spend time in His presence. And in in chapter 8, He says in verse 1, Now the main point of what has been said is this, We have such a high priest, that's Jesus, who has taken His seat at the right hand of the throne of majesty in the heavens, a minister in the sanctuary, and in the true tabernacle. Praise God. So He's ministering for us in the sanctuary and in the true tabernacle where God dwells. And it says, Which the Lord pitched, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices, so it is necessary that this high priest, that's Jesus, also have something to offer. Now if he were on the earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are those who offer the gifts according to the law, who serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. Just as Moses was warned by God when he was about to erect the tabernacle, for see, he says, that you make all things according to the pattern which was shown you on the mountain. But now, now, In the new covenant, He has obtained a more excellent ministry by as much as He is also the mediator of a better covenant, which has been enacted on better promises. Now when we did our study in Hebrews, we found out that Hebrews is all about the old was good, the new is better. Angels are good, but Jesus is better. That high high priest was good, but Jesus is a better high priest. That sacrifice was good, but Jesus was a better sacrifice. That tabernacle was good, but we have a better tabernacle. That covenant was good, but we have a better covenant. And that's something to be excited about. Now he says in, verse, in chapter 9, and we're going to look in uh, verse 1, Now even the first covenant had regulations of divine worship and the earthly sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle prepared, the outer one, And which were the lampstand and the table and the sacred bread. This is called the holy place. Now we've talked about this before and we've described it in detail. This morning we're not going to go into great detail of what everything was in the tabernacle. You can study that. You can go back and listen to the CDs. But this morning I'm just going to assume that you know some things. And if you don't, ask questions. And so he says, "All right. so there's an outer tabernacle. He says there's an outer court. He says this is what we call the sanctuary. And he says, In that place or says, this is called the holy place, I'm sorry. Behind the second veil there was a tabernacle which is called the Holy of Holies, having a golden altar of incense, and the Ark of the Covenant, covered on all sides with gold, in which there was a golden jar holding the manna, and Aaron's rod which budded and the tables of the covenant, and above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing shadowing the mercy seat. But of these things we cannot now speak in detail. Now when these things have been so prepared, the priests are continually entering the outer tabernacle, performing the divine worship. And only priests could come into the outer outer tabernacle. Do you realize that this isn't where the tabernacle started? There were courts that the people could come into. But the Gentiles couldn't come into those courts. Only God's covenant people could come into those courts. Then there's another veil that they've got to go through, another barrier that they've got to go through, only after washing in the basin, that priests could go into. Not everybody else, but the priests. Then there's another place called the Holy of Holies that only the high priest could go once a year into the presence of the living God. There in this place were barrier after barrier that made sure you didn't die in the presence of God. If you were a Gentile, you couldn't even come into the outer courts you were a child, you know, child of the covenant, a son of Abraham, you could come in. But if you were just a regular dude of the tribe of Benjamin or Judah or any, anything else but a Levite priest, you couldn't come in to the holy place. And you had to wash before you got there. And you had to offer a sacrifice before you got there. And when you got in there, there's a table, there's incense. But then you couldn't go into the holy place unless you were the priest. Once a year on the Day of Atonement, the priest goes in and offers sacrifice in the Holy of Holies. So think about that. Think about being on the outside looking in and and saying, boy, I wish I could go in there. But kind of being freaked out because people could easily die. Because there hadn't been a sacrifice once for all for their sins. There was just a covering for it. Which was the blood of animals, bulls, goats, rams. And here's what happens. He says, but in the second only the high priest enters once a year. Not without taking blood, which he offers for himself so he doesn't die and for the sins of the people committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit is is signifying this, that the way into the holy place has not yet been disclosed while the outer tabernacle is still standing, which is a symbol for the present time. Accordingly, both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make the worshiper perfect in conscience. So here's the problem with the Old Covenant way. They would never make you perfect. They would never really cleanse your conscience. You still know there's sin. You know it's covered. You know there's atonement, but you're never perfected. That's the beauty of the new covenant. Through Jesus' blood, there has been a perfection of your spirit, man. There has been a perfection of who you really are. And though you live in a body of flesh, though you still have issues, there has been a cleansing that allows you to walk into His presence and not drop dead. Thank God. Then here's what happens. He says... Accordingly, both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make the worshiper perfect in conscience, since they relate only to food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until a time of reformation. But when Christ appeared... Now you notice there's a big but right at the beginning. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come... Thank God. When He appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, He entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through His own blood, He entered the holy place once for all. Now, are you part of all? You know, we say the term once and for all so much, we don't even know what it means. Here's what He said. He said, I entered it once, and I did it for all. I made a sacrifice once, And I did it for all. Now, not everybody partakes of that sacrifice. He did it for everybody. But not everybody benefits of it, right? Because the Scripture says that without faith you can't. Grace has spoken to us. Grace has given something. But faith responds. And the truth of the matter is, though Jesus offered it to everybody, it says only they that believe are saved. But He did it for everybody. That's like paying everybody in the restaurant's bill, but somebody still leaves money on the table. This is what happened. So he did it once for all, and I'm part of all, thank God. Having obtained eternal redemption. Jesus got eternal redemption for us. He went and got it. He did what he needed to do to get it. You don't have to go and get it. You just have to receive it. Now it says this. He obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling those who have been defiled, sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience. And that word cleanse means cleanse and cleanse and cleanse and cleanse. It's a continual cleansing. Cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God that the only way to serve Him is to know that I've been cleaned by Him so now I can serve Him and I can go into a new way it says this for this reason He is the mediator of a new covenant so that since a death has taken place for the redemption of the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant those who have been called that's me that's you may receive the promise of eternal inheritance For where a covenant is, there must of necessity be a death of the one who made it. For a covenant is never enforced while the one who made it lives. Therefore, even the first covenant was not inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment had been spoken to Moses, to all the people according to the law, he had to take the blood of the calves and the goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop. And there's symbolism for all of this stuff. We don't have time to get into it. But there was symbolism for all this. And so he took all of these things... And he sprinkled both the book itself and all the people. Did you know when they entered the holy place? They sprinkled everything with that blood. Even the instruments. Even, even, the, even the, 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 the things that had been brought in. Because the truth of the matter is, is the scripture says in the old covenant, that even the things they brought, even the inanimate objects had been tainted by sin. Just because they touched them. But as they sacrificed these animals and sprinkled the blood on these, on these things and on themselves, they were cleansed, but just by the flesh. But they—I mean that, that outward sin, that sin that just clings to you, was cleansed from them. And the reason it had to be is because you can't walk in to the holy of holies with sin. Or you would die. So God gave them a way to come to Him. Gave them a way to come closer. And he said, I want you to sacrifice these animals. Why? Because God likes to see animals die? No. But simply because those animals were a shadow of the sacrifice that Jesus would make. They were a symbol, and God took it as a symbol. And he said, without something dying, there can't be a remission of sins. Why? Because the law, the spiritual law, is that the wages of sin is death. Right? Right? God didn't want you all to die, so what did He do? Showed you how to live. He showed you, as He says, the wages of sin is death. So something has to die. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to say that if you kill this animal, I'm going to see it as a symbol, as a shadow of what my Son, of what Jesus is going to do for you. And I'm going to receive it. I'm going to cleanse you, but it won't cleanse you as perfect as when He comes and does it. And when He comes, He's a perfect sacrifice. He's not just a goat. He's not just a lamb. He was a human being. He was, yes, He was God, but He also came as the Son of Man and fully cloaked Himself in our skin, in our body, and lived a sinless life. And He was the only one who did it. And the only one qualified to be that sacrifice. And it says this. And in the same way He sprinkled both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry with blood. Verse 22. And according to the law... One may almost say, all things are cleansed with blood. And without shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Therefore, it was necessary for the copies of these things in the heavens to be cleansed with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. Thank God. Do you realize that when Jesus died, He did not just cleanse the earthly sanctuary. He cleansed the things in heaven. He cleansed everything. Everything was covered in His blood. Everything was... just just soaked and cloaked and coated in the covenant life-giving blood of Jesus. And it says this, otherwise he would have needed to suffer often since the foundation of the world, but now once at the consummation of the ages. What does that mean? Is that something you use? Is Is that just the way you talk to your friends? You know, I kind of feel like it's the consummation of the ages. I just, you know... Feels like the consummation of the age. Does it feel like the consummation of the age? What does that mean? That means that throughout history, throughout every age, God had been building up to this moment. He'd been building up to redemption. If you read the old covenant, you read the Old Testament, you have to understand it through this: that everything that happened was building to this point in time. That every age, every prophet, every king, everything was leading to this moment that Jesus would make redemption for us once and for all. He said it is the consummation of the ages. That means it is the end of all of these things came together in this one moment when He offered Himself and when He was raised and exalted. And here's what it says. At the consummation of the ages, He has been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. And inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once and after this comes judgment, so Christ, also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for salvation, without reference to sin to those who eagerly await for Him. Now we're going to skip to chapter 10, verse 19. He says a lot of other things that I encourage you to go back and I want you to read on your own time. He talks about the fact that the high priest had to continually offer sacrifices for people, because they kept sinning. It's like, he always has a job. I will always be in business because you guys always keep messing up. <laughs> it's like a doctor that says, "You know, you're keeping me in business." He's, I'm sure he says it to snowboarders. You guys are keeping me in business. You put my kids through college. The amount of times you come in here, not 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 redeemed snowboarders. Well, we're, we're protected, but you know, he just says, "I always have a job. I'm always I'm always needed because you guys are always sinning." So in chapter ten, he talks about the fact that the priest had to make. Sacrifices every year, all, all the time, all over the place. But then Jesus made this one sacrifice for all of us. And it says that He is making eternal, He's continually making intercession for us. He's continually making intercession for us. But here's what it all leads to in chapter 10, verse 19. All of this that Jesus did for us, all of this making a new way, a new way into the Holy of Holies. Remember, what was the old way? None of us wouldn't have even been able to get into the outer court. Would have been stopped right there. Do we have any full-blood Jews here? let talk about full-blood. Full-blood. No, we don't. All of us would have been stopped at the outer court. Then even if you were Jewish, you get into the first court. But you're not a priest. you stopped right there. Then you're a priest. You wash yourself... You do the sacrifices, and and you come to the holy place. But then you can't go into the Holy of Holies unless you're the high priest, and it's that time of year. And so there are so many barriers between you and God. There's so many barriers between you and the Holy of Holies. Between you and the mercy seat. There's there's every barrier here, 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 here. But now he has made a new and living way. And the scripture says that, that since he did that, he got rid of the old way. Which means... Even if you were Jewish. And even if you were sa- sacrificing animals. Even if you were a priest. Even if you were the high priest. That's not the way anymore. It's not even the way in anymore. He made a new way. Through his own blood. Through Jesus. And it says here, here's what it says. It's for everybody. Therefore, brethren, verse 19, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, that's how we get in by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh and since we have we have a great high priest over the house of god let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith that means you don't think i'm not worthy i can't get in you have full assurance of faith now faith means you are putting all your hope and all your trust in him the reason I can come in is not because I was good this week. The reason I can come in is not because I prayed long this week. The reason I can come in is because Jesus made a way for me to come in. And I come in. And here's what he says. All of this, guys, all of the things that, w- that happened, all of the things that Jesus did, all of these sacrifices, here's what it should lead you to do. Therefore, let us draw near. That's the response. That's the proper response. Is since there's a way, use the way. Come here. Come closer. We've said this before, but the entire Word of God throughout the, from Genesis to Revelation, there seems to be, there's many messages, but there's one that just sticks out more and more. And it's God saying, come closer. Come here. We find on the New Testament, he, through Jesus, reconciled the world to himself. That Jesus came that we would come to God, that we wouldn't be separated from him anymore. And death comes when we're separate. Here's what he says. Let us hold fast. Or I'm sorry, I, I skipped ahead. Let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast, hold on tight the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. So our hope is in him, not in ourselves, but in him. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love And good deeds. Not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some. But encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now. That's a good intro. Here's the deal. He's called us to draw near every day. We know that this is a really cool time in history to be alive. Right? This is an awesome time just to be here. It's an awesome time to serve the Lord. But there are answers. There's help. There are things that you're only going to be finding in His very presence that He's made a way for you to come in. But here's what He says in the Bible here. He says, Therefore, you draw near. Let us draw near. Did you know even though Jesus made a way, you could sit on your couch and ignore, now you may be born again, you're going to heaven, praise the Lord, but He made a way that you could walk into His presence. You walk into His throne and find help. That's where the help is. That's where the help is. You say, God, help me. He says, come here. There's your answer. I'm right here. The Bible says, draw near to God. He draws near to you. Can you ima- Can you say that about any other celebrity or great person? And God is greater than all. But you can't say, draw near to the queen and she'll draw near to you. You can't say, draw near to Wayne Gretzky and he'll draw near to you. Why? Because they're... I mean, they don't have to draw near They don't want to. They don't need to. They have no desire to. They think they're better than you. But God, who is like so much greater than them, infinitely greater, He's the one that says, you make one little step towards me, and I make a big step towards you. In fact, He already made the step towards us through Jesus. He made the first move. Everything, faith is response to that move. My friend Jeremy says it this way. He says, God spoke, and Jesus spoke, and the Bible says Jesus came full of grace and truth. Everything that we get through God, through Jesus, is what we call grace, right? It's free, but it comes through Him. But you don't just get it because you happen to be standing in the right place. How do you receive the grace of God? The Bible says, by faith. So, as, as, like I said, as my friend Jeremy says, grace spoke, faith responds. Praise God. And so Jesus spoke, and we respond by faith. God made the first move. That's grace. And we by faith respond. Thank God. So without faith, it's impossible to please God. Do you know faith is always glued to action? It's always glued to action. It's always, always, always. Because really, if you really believe something, you do something. if you really believe that you that i mean you really believe somebody says there is a free house down the street for you and you believe them you don't just sit home believing them you just stay in bed believing them if you really believe them you go out and get your house right if we believe what god has said and what he's given to us it moves us to act that's why james says faith that works is dead he says show me your faith i'll show you works we don't get saved by works we're not justified by works Nothing we have is by works. But when we have faith, it produces something in us to move. That's just natural, isn't it? That's not a, that's not a weird thing. It's not a hard thing. And so our response to him making the first move, and it's a big move, he, he died and rose again. Probably the biggest move you could make is to draw near just come closer and guys we're talking about the things that God has for you we're talking about in these times we've been saying it over and over since New Year it's time, it's time it's time if it's time then you need to hear what that means for you you need to hear from Him and find out from God what does that mean don't just come to church and expect somebody to tell you all the time because there's words for the church but then there's words for you which sometimes you just have to hear And you know, He's got all these answers in His Word. And in His presence, He opens them up to you and He speaks to you by by His Spirit, to your spirit, speaks through His Word. And He gives you enlightenment, revelation. Let's go to Psalm 73. When I was at this conference, I just came from Sister Billy Brim, opened the Bible to this chapter and it just exploded to me when she read it. And I'd love to share that with you. In Psalm 73... So, we know that David had some rough times, yeah? <laughs> I mean, we, we know he's the greatest king that Israel ever had, till Jesus. Uh, but you know, he starts out his life as the kid that his dad doesn't think could ever be king. Then he kills a giant. Then, the, I mean, the Lord has already anointed him to be king, kills a giant. Then Saul gets suspicious, tries to kill him. He has to run around as a fugitive in the desert while somebody tries to kill him. He finally becomes king. Then he has to have a civil war in order to, in order to be king of Judah and Israel. Then he's king of both. Then he, he does fairly well as king. He has some issues, but he still he does it. He, he accomplishes what God called him to do. And then his own son starts a rebellion against him. And then his one of his closest advisors, he says in the Psalms, the man I shared sweet bread with and fellowship with, my closest advisor joins his son in rebellion. His closest, his best friend and his son decided that he should be dead and not king anymore. How do you deal with that? Psalm 73. This isn't David though. This is Asaph. Now, I said all that to say we've seen David throughout these... Scriptures. We've seen David, I mean, come to the Lord and say, I'm in trouble. What do you do? And every time, what happens? By the end of the Psalm, he's like, Wow, <laughs> but my soul will bless the Lord. Uh, surely I will be delivered, right? Now, Isaf, who is this guy? He was one of the 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 priests that was that David appointed in his tabernacle. See, David rebuilt a tabernacle, but it was different. In his tabernacle, there was always somebody, there was always musicians around, always worshiping there was always singers around. There was always priests worshiping the Lord. It was like always there was ministry going on to the Lord. And Asaph was one of these guys. Do you know the book of Psalms? That's what it was for. You want to know what it was for? It originally was something that they would sing while they were ministering for the Lord in the sanctuary. But Asaph writes this, and, and when we say Asaph, we know that God wrote it through him, right? He says this, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart, but as for me, so this is not this isn't God spoke speaking, this is a Saf, he says, As for me, my feet came close to stumbling. My steps almost slipped. How many of you have been in that place before? Came close to stumbling, you almost slipped. He says, For I was envious of the arrogant, as I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no pains in their death, and their body is fat. This was back when it was kind of good to be fat. It means you had food. You know, this losing weight thing is really a first world problem. (laughs) But back when people didn't have enough food, being fat was a good thing. He said, These guys have all the food they need. He says they die easy. He says they got money and they're wicked. And I was envious of them. I said, That's not fair. I mean, it's easy to say that even now. Why is that guy so rich? Guy's a twerp. Guys, uh, that guy is a, an, I mean, he is just the most wicked person I get ever think. Why, God, why do you let him do so good? And It says this: They are not. They're not in trouble as other men. Nor are they plague like mankind. Their pride is their necklace. The garment of violence covers them. Their eye bulges from fatness. <laughs> The imaginations of their heart run riot. They mock and wickedly speak of oppression. They speak from on high. They have set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue parades through the earth. This is a happy psalm, isn't it? Don't you wish we sang this this morning? So far it's pretty depressing, isn't it? Some of you came in happy and all of a sudden, wait a second. (laughs) That's true, hey. He says, Therefore His people return to this place, and waters of abundance are drunk by them. They say, How does God know? And His knowledge with the Most High. Behold, these are the wicked, and always at ease. They have increased in wealth. That's not fair. Why are they so rich? Why are they doing good? You, This isn't the way it's supposed to work. They're supposed to do bad things, and they get bad things. I mean, why are they doing so good? And they stop sitting here thinking like, "How oh, this isn't fair, God. It's not fair. Then watch this. This is His flesh, remember? Pride is a fleshly thing. Envy. Looking at the wicked. Looking from the senses. Why? Because what I can see is that they're doing well. What I hear is they're doing well. It's not coming from the Spirit. It's coming from you. It's coming from what you can see, feel, touch, and hear. But you know God sees something different. And it says this. Surely in vain... I have kept in my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence. And it, was, it wasn't worth anything. I, I did all this thinking that God... I did all this thinking it would turn out well. Surely in vain, because they didn't do it and they're doing well. So surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence. For I have been stricken all day long and chastened every morning. <laughs> if I had said I will speak thus, behold, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. Ooh... What's he saying? If I had let myself talk, thank God he knew how to shut his mouth. He said, if I had let myself talk, I would have betrayed the children of your generation. In other words, I would have told them wrong things. I would have said, it's not worth it, guys. It's a waste of time. Look, look, what's the point? Look, they're doing well. When I pondered to understand this, it was trouble in my sight. Listen to this. Until I came... Into the sanctuary of God. Do you hear that? This is how I was feeling. This is what I thought. And if I had opened my mouth, I would have said a bad thing. Until I came into the sanctuary of God. Because when I came into the sanctuary of God, everything changed. I saw things different. I heard things. I knew things. He said, until I came to the sanctuary of God, then I perceived the end. Then I saw what really was happening. I perceived their end. Surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. How they are destroyed in a moment. They are utterly swept away by sudden terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when aroused, you will despise their form. When my heart was embittered and I was pierced within, then I was senseless and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. What does that mean? I was led by my flesh. I thought like I thought just by what I could see, hear, touch. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You have taken hold of my right hand. With your counsel, you will what guide me. How does He guide you? With His counsel. Who does Jesus say is the Counselor? The Holy Spirit. With your counsel you will guide me you take hold of my right hand what is it what do you picture what do you picture when you think of somebody taking hold of somebody's right hand i picture of dad and a child and he says you've taken hold of my right hand and with your counsel you will guide me and afterward receive me to glory whom have i in heaven but you And besides you I desire nothing on the earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you will perish. You've destroyed all those who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. Listen to that. The nearness of God is my good. And this is a man in the old covenant who does not have the same access as you have. He doesn't have the same... Same spirit that you had. There were times when he felt really far, and there times when he felt really close. God never said to him, I will never, I mean, God never said, I will never leave you or forsake you. But he said that to you. And he says, The nearness of my God is my good. I have made the Lord my refuge that I may tell all of your works. Don't you love this? Oh, God, think about this. He says, I thought they were doing good. I thought like everybody else thought. I was depressed. I was discouraged until I came into the sanctuary. Then I perceived what was really going on. Then I saw it like you saw it. I saw that you'd set their feet in slippery places. And I saw that you had taken hold of my right hand. And you're counseling me and you're guiding me and you're showing me where to go. And, he, and as long as you're close to me, I'm doing good. He says, this is what I crave. Thank God. Oh, this is what is in His presence. If you're discouraged, if you don't know what's going on, and you look around you and go, this doesn't seem to be working like you said it was going to work. Notice you said it doesn't seem to be working. Because things are not what they seem. They're never what they seem to the flesh. Some people say things aren't always what they seem. I will tell you they're never what they seem. Can you think about the time... That Elijah, Elisha, sorry, was surrounded by an enemy army, surrounded by an enemy army that are all come, a whole army came to get one guy. And he's not even like a warrior. He just says things, and his servant's freaking out, because his servant says, "It's the end of the world as we know it. Dum dum da, dum dum da, dum da, dum da, dum da, dum." He's got his tiny violin out and he's playing it. I mean, this is the end. I should never have hooked up with you. I knew I knew I should have been a blacksmith. But mom said, no, no, you help the prophet. The prophet wants you to help him. You go with him. And I thought, yeah, that's a good gig. People seem to like you. But now look where it's got me. I'm on top of the city wall about to be a prisoner. And I didn't even do anything. I didn't say anything. You said it, Dude. They're gonna come and get us, you know. I have, <laughs> I have some friends that that at times, you know. I mean, even well, I mean, even teachers at times you may have had, but I've had friends that, that kind of look at you. Sometimes you ever you ever have somebody say to you, "Why aren't you worried right now? You just don't care." They said it to Jesus. He's asleep in the boat. Yeah. Don't you care that we're dying? You're so calloused. I mean, imagine they're picturing, they're in the boat. Storm is coming. They're like, yo, Jesus probably can live underwater. (laughs) Rest of us die and he has to go pick 12 more disciples. He doesn't care. It was easy to get us. Easy come, easy go. He'll get 12 more just like us. He goes, don't you even care that we're perishing? Don't you even care? This is what Elisha says. Don't you you even care? I mean, they're about to come and get us. They're not going to like Pamper us. They're going to kill us. And Elisha goes, All right. You obviously don't see what I see. He says, Lord, open his eyes. And at that moment, the servant did not see just an army of men surrounding the city, he sees the army of the Lord. Messengers of fire. And one of those angels could have, like, flicked him with his pinky. But God is sometimes a God of overkill and abundance. He sends a whole army. (laughs) Remember, one angel killed a whole army in the Old Testament with, like, a sweep of his sword. Boom, done. But God's like, I'm sending a whole army. And they surround the city, and they're in their chariots of fire. And the servant goes, oh, so I see the things they really are. You know, just because you don't see that doesn't mean it's not the way it really is. This is reality. We live in a different reality. It's real that Jesus is alive. It's real that there are angels. It's real that He helps those who call on His name. It's real that people... I mean, come on, guys. We see it. People healed. We see people Receive from God, but they never could receive from men. And and how could we ever say, I look around and it doesn't look good. Of course it doesn't look good because you're looking around. But if you'd see what God sees. And how do you see what God sees? You go into His sanctuary. That doesn't mean this church. It means you go into His Holy of Holies that Jesus said you've got a way to come in. You enter with confidence and you say, here I am and you perceive what he wants you to perceive you see what he wants you to see let's let's just go to one more place in psalm chapter 27 now this one is a psalm of david listen to what he says in verse 1 the lord is my light and my salvation what what's the first thing he says the lord is my light What does light cause you to do? See. Lord is my light. I can see. And He's my salvation. He saves me. He rescues me. Whom shall I fear? Now that's a rhetorical question. What do you think the answer is? Nobody. He says, when evildoers come upon me to devour my flesh. Man, that's graphic. Maybe you just got all religious and, and don't realize what this is really saying. People came to me to eat me. They came to devour my flesh, to massacre me. And he says, he goes, they, evil doers come to me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies. They stumbled and fell. Though a host encamp camp against me, my heart will not fear. Though war against, arise against me, in spite of this, I shall be confident. And the only time you're confident, in spite of all this, is if you're stupid or you know something they don't know. One thing I have asked from the Lord. Listen. One thing. If you could ask one thing from God, what would you ask? Think about it. If you could ask one thing from Him. Just one. Like one wish. He says this. One thing I ask. That I should seek. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Listen, here's what he wants to do. To behold the beauty of the Lord. To behold the beauty of His holiness. And to meditate in His temple. Meditate is not really the best word for this. Because this is not the word meditate that's found in Joshua, which means to mutter to oneself. This is the word Hebrew word bakar, which means to inquire and to seek. Here's what, here's what I would do. If I was in His holy place all the rest of the days of my life, I would inquire of Him. I would seek Him. That's what you're supposed to do in His presence. There are times... Now, there are two things He wants to do, right? He wants to behold His beauty. And He wants to inquire of Him and seek Him. Do you know most of your decisions, most of your life, most of everything would be infinitely better if you would simply inquire of the Lord before you did anything? Our Master, our Savior, our Lord Jesus said, I don't do anything, I don't say anything, unless I see Him do it, unless He tells me to do it. I don't do anything of my own initiative. So I go into the presence of God, and I inquire of the Lord. And I, you know what? I don't just go in to ask questions. I don't go in because I need something. You just need to sometimes go into the presence of the Lord with no agenda, and just come in and behold His beauty. And just look at Him for a while. And just worship him, and just fall at his feet, and say, "Lord, you are good, and your mercy endures forever." Listen to this. He says, "I want, I want to behold your beauty. I want to seek and inquire in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will conceal me in his tabernacle." Now you realize that David doesn't mean I run into that tent over there and hide from my enemies, right? That wouldn't hide you from the enemies. What does he say? You will conceal me. In His tabernacle. There's a, there's a higher tabernacle. And we found out in Hebrews that this tabernacle was just a shadow of that tabernacle. And that's His tabernacle. And He says, You'll hide me in that place, in that secret place of the Most High. Will I find shelter? He says, He'll conceal me in His tabernacle. In the secret place of His tent, He will hide me. He will lift me up on a rock. And now my head will be lifted up. Because that's the problem, isn't it? You walk around with your head down and you don't see what He sees. You walk around with your head down and you just see what the world sees and you just see what you can feel and touch and hear and smell. And then He says, He'll lift my head up. You will lift my head up above my enemies around me. And I will offer in His tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing. Yes, I will sing. Praises to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice and be gracious to me and answer me. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, O Lord, shall I seek. Isn't that awesome? God made the first move. What did He say? Seek my face. What's the right response? I'll seek your face. That seems like an easy response, eh? God doesn't need you to be too too clever here. He just says, I'm going to tell you something. You respond, I'll do that. You don't need to come back at him with an essay on why that's the best thing you can do. Gee, God, I figured out. I spent some time and I figured out why you're right. You don't need to figure out why he's right. Just say you're right. Sometimes, sometimes we, we hear from the Lord, we see it in the word, and, and then we, we feel like we've got to come up with all the reasons that this makes sense. And sometimes it doesn't make sense unless you're walking by the Spirit. Sometimes it doesn't make sense unless you're being spiritual, as 1 Corinthians 1 and 2 says. There are some things that will never make sense to a natural man. Never makes sense. I worked in a Christian bookstore for seven years. Many good books. And some books were merely written to try to explain the high things of God to people that were unwilling and too rebellious to say He's right. So we're going to make it make sense to you. I'm going to try to explain it in a way that you don't even have to believe in God for it to be right. That doesn't work. You know, sometimes it will never seem right unless you see by the Spirit. God says to Moses stretch out your staff the sea will part and they'll cross across the sea as though on dry land try writing a book to explain how that's going to (laughs) happen no not only that you have to explain how the water comes back and drowns an army (laughs) so when your friends say why are you going to do that because I went into his sanctuary and I inquired of the Lord and this is what he said Well, explain that to me. I can't. Because if I were to explain it to you, it'd still be crazy because you don't see what I see. Try to explain. What if the Israelites had said to each other, yeah, don't worry about it. We'll just start walking. Water will split. Then it comes back. It'll all work out. And everybody says, that's a fairy tale. That's crazy. You just have to do it. You just believe the Lord. In fact, Hebrew says, by faith. By faith, they walked across the ocean by the seabed as though on dry land. And what does the next part say? And the Egyptians, when they tried to do the same thing, were drowned. What does this mean? This means sometimes God gives you something to do. And I don't care how well it worked when someone else tries it without the Spirit of God. It doesn't work. Now put that in a leadership book. I'll be a crossover artist. A crossover author. I'll write this book by the Spirit of God. And then businessmen will read it and go, that's a good idea. There are some things in the Word of God that businessmen could use and it will help them. But there are some things that are just plain crazy that only work if God's working for you. And in the end, even the things you tried to do that seemed good to you, that worked for a little bit without God, it says if the Lord doesn't build the house, the people that are laboring are laboring in vain. It's pointless. So what we do, we come into His sanctuary, we seek Him, and He tells us what to do. We inquire of Him, and, he, and we see what He sees. Or we worship Him, and we know that He is bigger and He's greater. And guys, here's the deal. We can come in at any time, at any place. We can just walk in by the blood of Jesus. So what the author of Hebrews says is, since this is done for us, since there's a way in, The only natural response is to actually go in. I think sometimes I imagine myself as one of those Israelites that couldn't go all the way in. Maybe one of those little kids that looks and goes, I know I'm not a priest. I'll never be a priest. I'm not of the right lineage. Well, I wish I could go in there. Well, I wish I could go and just feel His presence. I wish I could even feel what Moses felt. I wish I could feel what Joshua felt. I can never go in. I can never go where that man can go, where that high priest goes. and Even Moses and Joshua couldn't do what the high priest did. I can, I'll never be able to do that. Can you imagine what that little boy would say if he lived in our time? And you said to him, Buddy, you can go in whenever you want to go in. Will I die? You won't die. In fact, you'll be more alive than ever. In his presence there's fullness of joy. In his presence, there's life. Yes, in his presence, there's healing. Yes. In his presence, there's answers. Yes. Do you think that little boy goes, well, maybe later. Maybe after I finish my game. Oh, he'd go right in. Oh, what an opportunity we have to go right in. If you're looking around you and it seems like everything is wrong, go in and find out what he sees. And find out what he says to do. And He puts you up on a rock. And He counsels you and leads you by the hand and shows you where to go. Until I came into the sanctuary, I was depressed. Until I came into the sanctuary, I was discouraged. But when I went into His sanctuary, I saw what He saw. Amen? Amen. Praise God. We've been given that opportunity. Every day. Not just Sundays and Wednesdays, but every single day. And then, the author of Hebrews says, And let's go in together. He says it's even better when we can just go in together. And he says, So let's get together more often and encourage one another. Let's get together more often and not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, but encourage one another and think about how I'm going to stimulate you to love and stimulate you to good deeds. How we're going to help each other along in the presence of the living God.